I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration and collaboration creates community and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. Welcome to Face to Face uh, again for uh, another interview on this uh, lovely day here in uh, Toronto. And we're joined by Hoda Elatawi from GAPC, the General Assembly Production Company. Thanks for joining us today, Hoda. Oh, pleasure to be here, David. Actually, I work, um, the division I work with under GAPC is GAPC Entertainment because it's the entertainment uh, arm of the company. Um, so I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. And I think it's going to be a, a 
pretty interesting interview. Hodo and I have been uh, just chatting a little bit uh, offline about a few things here and there, and and uh, I think we've got some pretty pretty interesting and engaging things to talk about. Hoda has been in uh, working with JAPC for at least, uh, correct me if uh, I, I get any of this wrong here, Hoda, but for about 11 years. She's a TV producer. She's made documentary films, been nominated for Gemini Awards. I'm going to let her talk to you a little bit more about uh, what she does and what she's done and what she hopes to do. And as you all know, uh, a bio will be on the site with a few links to JAPC's website and to uh, links to the new shows. And we're going to be talking about the Prime Radicals and a film that she's involved in. So anyway, let's uh, let's get right into it. So so Hoda, are you you're a TV producer? Would you say that um, you you are? You know, we talked a little bit about juggling. Tell me how much of a TV producer is actually just another way of saying you're an entrepreneur. Well, I think um, the two really equate very well. Um, absolutely, I'm a, I'm a TV producer, and I, I develop and produce concepts in primarily the factual uh, programming genre, meaning, as, as you put it so well, David, um, documentaries, um, docu-soaps, uh, doc-series, across genres like history, science, uh, biographies, that kind of thing, and children's pro uh, programs. Um, so as a producer, my job is um, absolutely to be entrepreneurial, which is to sort of read, I, I, I guess, read the signs in terms of what um, television networks are looking for, primarily in Canada and the U.S., and also internationally. I travel to markets, um, international markets, as well as um, throughout North America to get my finger on the pulse of what networks are looking for, what's what's hot, you know, what's not anymore, um, and really try and keep myself educated and informed uh, by watching a lot of television um, and, you know, a lot doing a lot of reading and meeting with lots of networks to make sure that we're developing ideas, not just that we're passionate about, because of course you can't sell anything that you can't speak to that doesn't speak to you or that you're not passionate about, but also that we're developing things that we feel we can get off the ground and, and sell. So it's all well and good to have an idea that you love, that's close to your heart. And, and many filmmakers do that, and they do that very well. Um, and it's a hard, hard road uh, to take oftentimes. Um, as a business, we also have a hard road, but we also look... Um, we have to look very closely at the bottom line in terms of can we make sure that we can sell this? Will it sell interna internationally once we've produced it? What you know, we're looking at the bottom line. We're looking at what are the costs, you know, to develop something, um, to get it off the ground and, and eventually put it on um, on a screen. And of course, as you know, fucking um, many screens now. Many yes. Platforms. So we're not just for television, we're producing across uh, platforms. I think, well, I mean, to say the industry is in a transition is kind of an understatement, I would imagine. Oh, I think that's a big one, because I think we're, um, I mean, it's still transitioning, but we're definitely past thing that I think producers are, involves these multi-level um, uh, platforms where we are um, taking our content and, presenting it in different ways, uh, making new content, engaging our communities and our um, and uh, interacting with in a way that really, uh, for me, in this business probably for 25 years, is the same but, but new. Right, because, right. You know, always had to, um, you know, produce things that would engage audiences. But, you know, as you know, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, we're interacting with them in a much, you know, much much different way and um, much more vigorous uh, interaction. 
Have you ever, you know, you talked a little bit about balancing, you know, sort of the business with the the passion and the desire and and so on. I I was recently at a film at uh, the Lightbox in Toronto, An Act of Killing, a film by Joshua Oppenheimer and Doc brilliant documentary that probably won't make a whole lot of money, you know, in the scheme of things from a filmmaking perspective. He took, uh, I saw a Q&A with him afterwards, four years he followed yeah. these subjects to make this film. I mean, you know, now he's got Werner Herzog and, and Errol Morris behind him as executive producers, so a little bit of cash there, I would imagine, and Absolutely. and just the credibility. Uh, have you ever have you ever felt like you've had to sell out because, you know, in a way, uh, to get the business rolling? Do you think that, that Canadian filmmakers need have to do that because we are you know we've got such a different industry here than in the u.s or or is that you know is that even a a a fair question well no i think it's a fair question and i'm happy to say in my opinion i don't think um as canadian uh makers of content whatever uh, the genre the platform that we have had to sell out what's amazing to me is and as you probably know is canadians have a tremendous uh track record and reputation for documentary filmmaking around the world um, and I don't think that's that's changed. It's harder to get documentaries off the ground. The dollars seem fewer. The doors seem less. But I think that our reputation is right up there. And the other thing that I've um, realized as I continue to do these international conferences or markets, as we call them, is there's a lot of great Canadian content out there on screens in North America and the U.S. and um, all over the world. Uh, Canadian shows, series in every genre are doing really, really well. We have, you know, I mean, you look at a show like um, Homes on Homes, uh, you know, homegrown out of Toronto and look at uh, what the... You know that show has managed to do, and it, the reach that has got it has gotten. Um, so I think that we're doing really well, and I don't think that we've I don't sold out actually. I think the quality of Canadian is right up there, and not just in factual, but in in um, the dramatic or fiction genres, if you will. And I think we're doing really well. I don't think we have sold out. It is difficult, but I think that we have an industry to be really, really proud of. What is, um, I mean, there seemed to be a time when things really did shift. There was for years, you know, you had that beachcomber sort of edged television. Sorry about dating myself there. Uh, and, and now, now, what's that? That was a very well-loved series. Oh, it really was, but but there was still a feel to it that was very sort of Canadian, I would almost argue. Uh, and now today you've got your Rookie Blue and you've got Flashpoint and you've got these shows that are being created out of Toronto in studios and so on uh, that seem to have a huge budget behind them. And sometimes I think, oh, clearly they've got American producers and they're just shooting in Toronto. But really, uh, things, I mean, was there a time when things really shifted and, and, and more money was being dumped into the industry? Or have you noticed that? Um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not sure I can answer that as accurately as I would like. I think that um, absolutely over the years, um, we've seen the money, we've seen the money grow. And we've seen it um, shrink. I think it's been sort of a bit stat, you know, status quo in terms of because, as you know, I mean, we get we get funded in, in a number of different ways, not just from license fees in Canada or um, pre-sales abroad in the U.S., but also through something called the Canada Media Fund, um, which is made up of government funding as well as um, cable cable funding. So, you know, we are uh, an industry that is supported. Um, with with funding, um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a struggle, but 
Nevertheless, I think that production is on the increase. When I when I look at um, some of the trade magazines, the numbers uh, seem to be growing, which is which is very positive. Now, is everybody as busy as they'd like to be? Probably not. Uh, definitely in our industry, it's uh, peaks and valleys, right. and that has not really changed um, from my perspective in the last twenty five years. A lot richer, and there were years there were. Much, much leaner. So you're currently making a documentary film. You're working on a few TV series and so on. I'd like to talk about the film in a second. Um, did you ever make a conscious choice to say, I'm going to produce TV or I'm going to produce film? Or is it kind of you've, you've had to do a little bit of both? Well, I've had to do a little bit of both, but with, with, with pleasure and with passion, I should add. I mean, I, I studied um, journalism, so my initial intent was to be a broadcast journalist um, and or a foreign correspondent, and I got to meet some great journalists along the way. But I discovered that, um, you know, telling a story in, an, in a minute and a half or in that sort of small space of time wasn't, wasn't enough, and I, I fell into the um, production industry a little bit um, by accident, really, through a friend, as often happens, you kind of, somebody talks to someone and you get um, an opportunity and you take it, and it wasn't necessarily an opportunity that you were going after. Right. Uh, you think, wow, this is amazing. And so I grew in this industry at the knees of some really terrific um, writers and directors and, and crew who had the patience to mentor me through, and I really knew nothing about production um, in the sense of the, the kinds of things that I'm doing right now. So I'm not sure if that really answers your question. No, I think it, it does. I, I think it leads into another really nice one, too. I mean, it, uh, you, you sort of touched on the whole idea of mentorship a little bit and, and some of the folks that you've worked with and worked under and alongside and so on. Um, happy for you to chat about that. In fact, I'd love your thoughts on that. But also, I'm wondering, you know, as a producer, is your job really to find those people? those same people that mentored you, those same people that you worked alongside that, that had such an impact. Is that why, you know, when you see a really crummy film, shitty film, sorry, <laughs> you know, and it's got a great actor uh, or two, and you think the script is okay, but it just didn't seem to work? Is it because the producer didn't do their job? Well, I think there's a lot of different factors that play, and that's a hard question to answer in a couple of words. There's so many different things. It could be that there wasn't the money, David, to um, give the film the kinds of bells and whistles um, that it really needed or the, the time that it required to um, see the script uh uh, come to life in the way that it should. It could be that perhaps you couldn't hire the ca all, the caliber of all the on-camera talent that you wanted. It could um, be the, the kind of collaboration with the director if they had a different vision. Um, it, it, you know, it could be any number of factors. So it's hard to say. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and it, and it could come down to just, you know, the talent level of right. the team putting it together. So really, at the end of the day, um, our jobs as producers is to try as best as we can to put the strongest team together for the particular project that you're trying to get off the ground. The people who are best suited, that have track record, and that you know you can work with because it's a little bit like a marriage. Oftentimes, uh, you know, when you start with developing an idea and by the time you get it financed and produced and in the can, that could be a very long period of time. And so you want to make sure you're working with people that you that you know you can collaborate with, that that you're not gonna have you know, have a divorce halfway through. 
Right. Well, I, you know, you, you use the word collaborate. I think one of the things I so love about the whole filmmaking process and about TV and so on, what little I know about it, I consider myself a bit of a film buff. Um, but I love that community effort. I love the fact that there, you know, you sit and you watch the credits after a film and you just really, there was this many people involved to make this thing. How the heck did it ever get off the ground? Well, it's amazing, isn't it? But it, but it does. And, and people do come together and people come come into it at different stages, of course. But you've had a taste of it, obviously, with that wonderful series that we worked together on yes. called Spells, children's series. So you had a chance um, firsthand, hopefully, to experience that kind of collaboration. It was a really, really, I think, fun ride. I have a wonderful photograph, actually, of us on set. And, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about a, a show that uh, Hoda and I worked on together, Spells, and it was a, a show about magic and the history of it and about teaching kids magic and so on. And it's this wonderful shot um, that, that kind of is almost wide-angle, Hoda, and it's a shot of the yes. camera, and you can see Ron, the director, a profile, and you can see sort of where you're sitting because there's a bottle of water, and you can see, of course, where I'm sitting, but then you get to see the lights and the cameraman and the way the the, 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 the the table that Bridget and Jay are working at is tilted up and you get to see all the details and yet in the picture framed is the TV screen, the monitor and you see the final shot and you go, holy mackerel, look at all the detail here just to get this one wretched shot. (laughs) You know? You know, I tell tell the young people that I work with because we do uh, make a concerted effort to try and um, bring interns on and to mentor as best we can because there's a generation that are coming behind us and we want our industry to be vibrant and they're relevant and talented. And so I often tell them the devil's in the detail. I mean, sorry to you know use a cliche, but it's absolutely what you just said. Every little detail matters. Everyone. So you believe uh, you believe in the the little things then? Absolutely, and it's well, you know, it's the little things. And it's also as a producer, you have to be able to pay attention to the little things and hopefully have a team that. Um, uh, that you can work with and, and that you have faith in that will look after those um, details because at the same time you have to be able to look at the entire larger picture, both um, from a business strategy and marketing and uh, creative, working with the scripts, working with the writers, working with the director. And I work much as a creative producer, so what that means really is that oftentimes the concepts, if they if someone brings me a concept and I we look at it and we say yes and we think that we can sell this or we develop the concepts ourselves. So um, as creative producer I'm very, very hands on in terms of the creative evolution of the concept. Um, so I work very closely with the key creative team. Have you ever found that as a producer you've had to maintain some level of passion that others have lost throughout a production, whether it's a doc film you've worked on or a TV series? You've, you know, you're you're out having a smoke with the director, and the director says, "Oh, you know, I'm just done. I'm I'm I'm, I'm you know, or out for a coffee, and it's just it's just doesn't seem to be working." Is that has that ever happened before? Oh, for sure, and that happens. You know. Uh, that happens when we're developing ideas and we've uh, put together a team, uh, like you know, a director and a writer that are working with us, um, really uh, for uh, peanuts or no peanuts, right. uh, speculative work, if you will, to try and get something off the ground. And uh, you know, my job is to try and gauge, you know, how long do you spend on something before you decide to give it up? And oftentimes, it's like a baby, and um, 
you don't really want to give up your baby. Um, but at some point you have to make that decision. And, you know, other times some of the people that you have on your team or that you hope to have on your team decide that maybe they can't be in it for the long run. And that's fair. Fair enough. You know, so we have to be able to sort of gauge that and, and make those tough decisions. Um, and sometimes it pays off and sometimes you think, oh my gosh, I'm just never going to get this thing off the ground, but you know, can I let it go? So that's kind of a little bit, uh, maybe it's a good segue to talk about this, uh, documentary that I've been Yeah, doing. well you were, yeah, please. And you, you, you just got back from Cairo as well. And there's gotta be a connection there to the, the film that you're making. So please. Yeah. Well, probably enough, there is really not a connection oh. in a very large, large way. Um, uh, just well, the, I mean, for, from an Egypt perspective, all my extended family's there, so uh, we really uh, wanted to go back and uh, visit. And it and it we did our visit just before the June thirtieth um, big demonstrations happened. Like we 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 left before those happened. We were worried, um, you know, about whether or not we would be able to get out once the protests began because it was hard to gauge. Nobody really had a sense of how what scale. Um, what the scale would be and what would transpire. So, um, but it was really, I'm really glad that we were there. It was great to get a sense, you know, on the ground from the people that I know, what they were thinking or feeling, what they were confused about, uh, the big question marks that they had. Um, but, but really how all the people that I knew were very unified in, um, you know, in, in terms of really wanting to have a change in, in terms of, gov of government, like there was, there was nobody that I knew in my circle of family and friends that veered from that position. So I, I would imagine pretty much everyone you met, you ended up talking about it in some way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a tough road that, um, you know, that has, has been taken. And, and, but I think that people believe that there really wasn't a choice. And so we watch and, you know, we watch with bated breath and, you know, hope that the media gets it right in terms of the kind of coverage that they give it. And, um, you know, we call, we call back there and check in on everyone and, and just hope and pray that it will, we'll, we'll see a resolution that ends peacefully and, and, mm -hmm in a way that, that people want. So. Did you, do, do you find in these kinds of situations, so I mean, this is kind of a once in a lifetime thing, I would imagine this, you know, what's happening in, in, in Egypt currently and so on, but do you find that you kind of wish that you were always recording these conversations as Absolutely. a, as, yeah, as a filmmaker? Absolutely. That, you know, um, I was in, uh, Cairo in, it was just before the, first, the revolution, first revolution. And um, I was there probably about four weeks before that. And I mean, of course, I had no idea it was coming. None of my family in Cairo did. Um, and then I went back a year later, a post-revolution. So at that time, I, I did have a small video camera with me. And, and I did actually record some of the conversations that were happening with my uh, relatives because mm. everybody's, you know, everybody had, you know, different, differing political opinions. It was on the cusp of, you know... Uh, elections people were excited to be able to have a say in terms of um the um the election process something that they really hadn't had for 30 years or more um so it was a very exciting time for me to be there because i hadn't um heard my family and friends talk that way really ever before because there really wasn't any point mm -hmm. 
it was always status quo. So it was a very exciting time to be there. And uh, it was, a, it was a, you know, the beginnings. It was like new beginnings where everybody had expectations and hope. And uh, it was sort of on the cusp of a new dawn, if you will. So right. it was a good time to be there. And I did tape some conversations. Um, but really, what I, I would have wanted to do was really spend a good couple of years there right. and document. And uh, I think what would have you know, there, there could have been some, and there had been some really great things about the revolution and post-revolution. And, and I expect just that process from before, during, after, and, and gaining people's expectations before, during, and after, and where they are today, I think would have been a, a really interesting story arc to follow. Uh, you, yeah. you, you, you had said something to me about the film that you are making. I mean, you've been following a family for five years, have you not? Going on five years, so, uh, you know, this comes back to your question about, you know, as a producer or, you know, anybody in this business, at what point do you, you know, decide to give up or uh, lose momentum? So I, I had been, um, about five years ago, I started uh, doing some research and exploring whether or not we I could develop a film on multiculturalism in Canada and, and in Western countries and sort of really look at what, what multicultural, multiculturalism meant. And, um, you know, was it really the dream um, that, that, you know, we all think or talked about? And, and so I, I knew I had to sort of have some characters, some, you know, follow some people. But when I talked to networks, uh, they weren't really that interested. For them, it was more of a kind of survey documentary. They were much more interested in, at the time, they continue to be in character-based um, stories. So in the course of my research, I met a young um, lawyer who I think at the time was articling uh, her name was Meniza and we started talking and um, when I walked away from that uh, meeting I thought to myself wow I mean she just blew me away she, hmm. she was very engaging and and that's kind of where the idea to do the documentary that uh, that I'm doing right now came from and I've been working on it I've been working on it for about four years you know, raising little bits of money here and there, trying to keep it going, trying to keep my own sense of excitement and momentum going in the team, of course. And, you know, at times feeling, should I just walk away from it because it's never going to happen? But at the end of the day, we did actually get, um, we did raise the financing. We're doing it for the Documentary Channel in Canada. Wow. Um, and we're really excited. But the documentary is called Maniza in the Middle. And what it does is it explores the question of identity as it relates to second-generation Muslim Canadians. Hmm. And, and, and so my main character, Maniza, really, I think, exemplifies all the themes that we're going to explore, which is, you know, you know, you have immigrant, you come to this country or you have immigrant parents and they, they come oftentimes, my own experience, um, so it's a film close to my own heart, you know, Immigrant parents will come and have a strong sense probably of uh, who they are and what their value system is. And, you know, even if they're in a new place with, you know, that's completely different and value system different, they have these strong ideas in, inside of themselves because they grew up in their countries, so they're embedded in them. When they have their own children that are born here, um, as you know, evidenced by some of the characters in my documentary, there's a you know it's it's a little bit more difficult. Those kids are straddling, you know, cultural divides, right? Um, 
you know, different value systems, uh, bringing faith into the reality of a Western life, old tradition versus modern Western culture. And so they have to navigate these choppy waters as just kind of figure out who they are. My story really picks up once they grown up and, and really feel, well, out. I know who I am. I know where I fit in this world that I live in. And they begin to have their own children. And all of a sudden, some of those identity crises or questions that they had growing up or that they rebelled against come into right. place all over again. And um, I just thought it was really interesting because I see, you know, because I've been following my main character for four years through the, you know, before she had children, through the birth of her first child, through the birth of her second child, and to see sort of the shifts and the self-questioning and the asking, do I need to re-identify who I am? Do I need to redefine who I am for my children? Because at the end of the day, for my main uh, character, what's at stake, as she articulates, is her child's fate. Canadian, Muslim, Pakistani um, woman, she grew up, uh, you know, rebelling. And she, what I really like about my character is she identifies herself as a devout Muslim. She, um, she, you know, she prays, she fasts, um, holds all those values dear, and they're, they're, they're part of her, her life. Um, but at the same time, on the outside, optically, she really doesn't fit uh, perhaps that stereotype or what most people would think of right. about Pakistani Muslim Canadian visual will immediately fall into our brains which well, doesn't fit that visual at all um, you know she wears fitted clothing she loves makeup she's a total fashionista she's got piercings here and there and it's interesting to watch her try and figure out if she needs find who she is in order to set her children, her daughter in particular, on what she believes is the right path and to watch her um, recognize that she is hearing the parental voices that she heard growing up. Right, of course, yeah. Out of her own mouth. Um, and it's, a, it's an internal struggle. But what I like about the story is that it's very universal, David, because it's about being a parent and all parents want to do the best they can for their children. So it's universal in that way. It's revelatory in another way because it gives us a very intimate window into a very uh, wonderful, authentic um, family who's given us access um, into their world and into their lives and into how they think and where they see that they fit and into the real struggles that they they voice and the you know the the challenges that you know may occur between say Maniza and her husband, who she realized was you know, maybe more conservative than she understood once they had a, a girl child. Right. And sense of modesty and dress and those kinds of things began to surface. It's, Hoda, is this, a, is this a film about how on some level we're just, you know, we're, we're all just trying to get through the day? That we're all just, you know, we're all cut from the same cloth, if you will? Is, it sort of sounds like that to me. You know what? It's so funny because people, when they ask me what the film's about, and I'll say it is about identity, but I think identity is a very relatable theme to all of us. Uh, but at the, at the end of the day, what I realize is that it's a film about how we're the same. Right. 
that's really what it's about. But I think it will open some people's eyes. I think um, we have a very intimate, uh, you know, lens into a Muslim family, if you will, um, that will give people hopefully um, a different understanding of what perhaps they understood or thought of before. So it might um, bust some, might do some myth busting, which is what I'm hoping for. You know, of course, we continue to, you know, I continue to look at, you know, how the media cover, covers certain things and the kinds of, you know, Islamophobia still rears its head. Of course. Uh, often. And, you know, when things, when horrible things happen, um, I often say, because I, I am um, a Canadian Egyptian Muslim myself, I when horrible things happen, I the first thing that I often think of is, please, don't let it be a Muslim person. Right. Right, uh, and it's interesting because I think many of us, many of us feel that way. Um, so I'm hoping that this film will open people's eyes in a way. Um, but you know, I think other films have been made and have done that, and have, yeah, I just think we need to continue to do that. The film about how we're all the same. <laughs> we need to, we need to absolutely need to continue the the dialogue, continue the conversation. We need to continue to ask these questions. I mean, I think in some way we all need to be humanized just a little bit more. If that makes sense, whether we're Muslim or Christian or Catholic or atheists or whatever it is, I mean, there there's this sense of uh, we misunderstand others, you know. Period. And I think I think that's where our problems and our marriages happen, and our friendships and global issues. I mean, it sounds really again tree huggerish. I suppose I think I used that phrase in a in an earlier podcast because I'm sounding more and more like a liberal lefty every day, which is totally fine with me. But but it's yeah, it's got the, there's this sense of of the other. Where did where did we lose that along the way? It, I think you're exactly right. It's it's in some ways it feels like we're growing farther apart. Yes. People. Um, would would you say that um, the 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 idea behind the film has changed in four years, or in, sorry, in five years? So you had an idea for what you wanted to do with it five years ago when you hit the record button. And, and are you in a different place today? Oh, for sure. And you know what? It continues evolving, um, David. Because when I started off um, developing this idea, I uh, was the producer. Uh, and I still am. Um, and I was uh, looking to work with uh, writers and directors, mostly directors, to um, help me shape it. And um, I worked with a couple in the development stages and who were fantastic, I might add. But I realized that I was stepping all over them, unfairly to them, actually, uh, because at the end of the day, this was my baby. Right. Uh, I was in it. And, and, it, and I needed to find a way to make it and um, to shape it myself. So it is, it is an ongoing process. It continues to evolve. I think the core of it remains the same. How I tell the story um, is developing. And, you know, I, I've got some neat ideas that I, I won't share with you just at this point because I, I have to get into the edit suite and try them out. Right. Um, about halfway or more than halfway through shooting, uh, filming, and I have a few more interviews that I want to do, and then I'll be hitting the edit suites for a good several months to put the film together. When are when are you hoping to release release it? Um, it will be delivered to the Documentary Channel in April of 2014. Wow! So that's uh, you know that's coming like a, a freight train. 
Yeah, it, well, that's it. It's around the corner. Um, and what's really great is I've talked to a couple of U.S. broadcasters who really love the subject matter and who, who have been watching some of the trailers that I've cut. And um, they want to be kept posted because they are potentially looking at acquiring the film once it's done. So that would be fantastic. And, of course, I hope that the film is strong and, and good enough and uh, compelling enough that I can get it into some film festivals yeah. around the world. Well, that's fantastic. I wish you well with that. I think it's amazing. I think anything, because of my background working in development and having traveled as much as I have, I just, this whole idea of cross-cultural awareness to me is essential to a better world uh, on, on so many levels. And it's not a new area for me. I mean, I've worked, before I was doing television, I did a lot of work for different kinds of organizations and associations and even government departments with, about, you know, with cross-cultural themes. So it's always been something that's interested me. This is different one because it's uh, it's a film and it's for television, um, but it's also my directorial debut, if you will. So it's um, it's an exhilarating and and scary ride. Yeah, no, that's exciting. Oh man, you're 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 living a life that I want to lead eventually, Hoda. I've only you know I've had about what four careers in my life, but I'm telling you, before they lay me in the grave, I'm going to make a documentary film. Damn it! <laughs> it's 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 quite extraordinary. So I. I for you. Yeah, I look forward to it. Listen, um, we, we're, we're getting close to the end. I hate mathematics. What the heck are you doing making a show about math for kids? I mean, how, how can that be fun for anyone? I, you know, I, I, okay, I'm going to proudly say on, on tape and uh, on my podcast here for my millions of listeners, um, the only test I ever cheated on in high school was a calculus test. You see, Dave, had the prime radicals, when you were growing up, you never would have had to do that cheating. I, I tell you, hopefully you'll get your kids to tune in. So to answer your question, you're absolutely right. A few years ago, somebody came to me and said, how about doing a series about math for kids? Because, you know, we've done some children's stuff, including spells. And um, I was like, I said exactly what you said. I said, a math series for kids? Who would watch that? Like, how boring can that be? Um, but I met, I was fortunate enough to meet this extraordinary woman in um at Queen's University in Kingston. She's a, a professor there of mathematics. And um, she, when we started talking, it was the first time I'd ever heard anyone um, talk about math in a way that got me excited and where I could visualize math in a real world sense. And her enthusiasm just caught fire with me. And so basically we got together and we talked about the viability of doing something. We, you know, I went to talk to TVO. They were very into it because it's, you know, they're an educational network. So one of their mandates, of course, is to put out educational content and mathematics was high on their list. So from there, we did, you know, we developed it. We put together a great team. It's a live action series with three main characters. And essentially, you know, it's two cousins, you know, Kevin and Alana and their Uncle Norm. Uncle Norm is this cross between Inspector Clouseau and Maxwell Smart. And um, he's uh, this zany uncle. They don't really know what his job is, but he um, has this workshop that they hang out at and Every time they come to visit, there's some problem at hand that he can't really sort out or that he needs the help of the prime radicals with. And so essentially the kids go out into the real world and they'll talk to different people doing all kinds of things, whether they're firefighters or sculptors or fashion designers or chefs. And through that um, sort of documentary portion, we see and illustrate to our audience 
how math is part of the world that they live in. Um, there's an art and craft section. There's a fabulous song at the end of every um, episode. It's um, it's a lot of fun. It's fast moving. The format is short, so you know we keep their attention. You know, it's like 14 minutes long. And um, kids really love it. Parents love it. You know, it's a, it's parents. It's they they when we were focus testing the series in season one, parents would watch it and, and be astounded by the things that they didn't remember or didn't know. And so there's a lot of wow factor that we try to present in the series. And and really the idea behind the series is to empower kids. In this, our our demographic is six to eight years old, grades one, two, and a little bit of three, um, to empower kids to feel good about not just doing math, but to let them know that they're doing it all the time. It's all around mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And to look at the world in a different way, in a, in a mathematical way, if you will, but in a fun and engaging way. So, you know, we're really fortunate. We're launching season two on TVO next week. That's September 5th at 630. Um, we're hoping lots of people will tune in. And um, we, the the series has won, you know, up to seven awards. Uh, we wow. got we just two awards for season two before it even aired. So we're just delighted. We're going to be launching um, some apps and games over the next few months to complement the um, the series. They're going to be super fun, and um, you know, on that you can play on different platforms. There'll you know be a browser version, iOS, Android. So um, we're really, really excited about it, and I think TVO is um, thrilled with it. And we're hoping that, um, not hoping, it actually is being used in schools. So the show is distributed internationally. It's uh, sold in Asia and the Middle East. It's uh, getting into the schools. Teachers are using it as a resource. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to... Uh, move forward to a season three in the not too long future and continue doing what we think is really good work. I mean, obviously this is work we're passionate about, you know, trying to um, create good content that has embedded educational curriculum link content is, is challenging, but it's super fun to do. And when, when it comes together and it's successful and you see uh, your audience through a focus test or, you know, a variety of ways, it, really enjoying it, it's, it, there's nothing like it. Do you remember a, a movie in the '90s called *The Prophecy* with Chris Chris Walken? He plays he plays the angel Gabriel, and I remember this one scene and, because I've never been much of a scientist, really. I mean, I've studied the philosophy of science and so on, but but there he is standing on the on the steps of some house with a bunch of kids around him, and he and he says, "Study your mathematics, kids. It's the key to the universe." And uh, I, are, is that sort of the one of the principles behind the show? Would you say? Well, uh, yes. I mean, that's a big one. I that's a big. It's a pretty big metaphysical <laughs> principle, but still. Absolutely, and you know, when we started putting this series together, uh, amongst the research that we were doing and the research that we were getting from uh, Professor Colgan uh, at Queen's University, one of the things that we were seeing was that kids were turning away from math at a younger and younger age, particularly boys, by age nine. We're turning away from math, not good at it, can't do it, too hard. And that was a bit of a uh, surprise for me because, of course, being in, in the industry as long as I have um, and having done educational um, productions before, there was a time, of course, where we were doing um, productions that would encourage girls more towards the maths and the sciences. 
Uh, and that pendulum seems to have swung. So it, it is a bit disconcerting that um, kids are turning away from from the maths, uh, you know, according to the, the research that we've done, of course, uh, I think math has, you know, has had a crisis in the last few years. And I think that educators realize that. So if we can do our bit, why not? Yeah, absolutely. So, so have you got, um, just as we wrap up, what's, what's, what's next? I mean, you know, I mean, you've got enough on your plate as it is. You're, you're presenting this doc, you know, uh, in, in April of 2014, you know, you're probably already imagining the awards, the award ceremony. Uh, is it a, is it a feature film? What's, what's coming? Um, well, we're hoping, as I said, to develop a season three with TVO Kids, a number of, um, other educational, uh, type actions or concepts that I want to develop, not just for television, actually, but for other platforms, for other digital platforms. Um, so I'm really excited about that because I'm exploring sort of new funding models um, for those. And um, a couple of what what I would call docu-soap or reality type series hmm. uh, that we're exploring. We've been cutting some trailers for for some of those ideas, uh, concepts that we've been developing. Uh, that's all I'll say about them at this point because they're quite new and I haven't really begun pitching them. But let me tell you, if I sell one of them, you'll be one of the first. I'll shout it from the roof. So you'll awesome. Definitely- <laughs> Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks for uh, joining us on Face to Face today. It's uh, I love your passion, Hoda, and and I wish you well with the doc. And uh, we'll, we'll be in touch soon. And every, you know, I'm, I'm coming. I'm trying to come up with a tagline for for my podcast, and and it's going to be connected to. Uh, there's just never enough time because I get to the end of my 30, 35 minute interview and I just go, we barely scratched the surface. So again, you know, it goes without saying. So thanks for joining us today and um, uh, wish you well with Prime Radicals and the doc and and we'll, we'll speak to you again very soon, I'm sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure, David. We'll talk soon.